Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm Hey, babes. How are ya? I have had the worst time making this intro. I recorded two times yesterday, and they were just too much. My mood is just so different from hour to hour that it's like it makes me cringe if I listen to something I recorded an hour ago. Anyway, here's a new fresh intro for ya. Basically, I had a hard week this week. Had some really, really low times. Some hardcore weeping moments with my head in my mother's lap. Lots of ugly crying in my office while writing a Patreon update. One guttural outburst on the toilet that came out of nowhere and made me laugh. Some hunched over, jiggly shoulder kind of crying in the shower. But the good news is, I'm feeling a little bit better now. Before I tell you why I had such a shitty week, I just want to thank my new Patreon subscribers, Carolyn S. and Emily J., Possibly Jessica L., if I didn't mention you last week. And thank you to Josie A., Dr. Josie A., (laughs) for raising your pledge. And thank you to everybody for just being there and letting me vent last week. It was later that night after I posted my Patreon update that some of my sadness did seem to lift. And so, thank you for letting me express myself. Okay, so here is what was going on last week, and I'll try to summarize. Basically, I was looking forward to my appointment with Dr. Chung because I thought she'd put my fears to rest, my fears of, you know, hemorrhaging and dying and all that stuff. I thought she'd put it all to rest, and I'd be able to jump right into using my frozen eggs, and I'd have a worry-free pregnancy. But that wasn't the case at all. First, she had to deliver some bad news. Ugh. I thought I had eight frozen eggs, six mature, and two that were just kind of so-so, but still had a chance. But it turns out, back in 2015, when I froze my eggs, the standards were a little lower for which eggs they froze and which eggs they just tossed. By today's standards, only three of my eight eggs are mature enough to work with. Guys. Three. Ugh. And so it hit me that the chances of making a healthy embryo from my frozen eggs was not so great. Of those three, how many would make it to blastocyst? And how many would come back normal after genetic testing? And apparently, my genetic counselor made a note that the chance of recurrence of brain malformations was 15 to 20%. This was news to me and another gut punch. I would, however, find out later that this chance of recurrence was based on early ultrasounds before we knew anything, before we had any blood tests or did the amnio. And now that we have more information, things are a little different. I actually got my genetic testing results back the day after talking to Dr. Chung, and the chance of recurrence has changed a lot. We learned that I am a carrier of one of the mutations found on my baby's CEP135 gene, but not the other mutation. This meant that the brain malformations were a recessive condition, one recessive gene from me and one from the donor, and if I used a different donor, the chances of recurrence were actually more like 1 in 10,000. Okay, that's great. It made me feel a little bit better, but it also made me realize how unlucky I was to pick a donor with a rare mutation on the same gene as me. God, isn't it unbelievable that she inherited this from us, that this happened? It's crazy. It's so crazy. But back to my conversation with Dr. Chung. So we talked about the next big obstacle. Like I said earlier, I was hoping Dr. Chung would put my fears surrounding childbirth to rest, but it turns out she's nervous too. 
Fuck. In fact, she suggested I use a surrogate. Double fuck. Ugh. It's bad. I mean, you know I love a good surrogate story, don't get me wrong, but I just always thought I'd be pregnant again. Even though I'm terrified of it, I just thought it would happen. I thought I'd feel those kicks again. I thought I could get over my irrational fear and just do it. And now I'm finding out my fear is maybe rational? So I'm making an appointment for preconception counseling with a maternal fetal medicine doctor who will have all of my records and can help assess the risk. But for now, it's looking like my uterus could be done. Time to close up shop. Oh, God. I was devastated, honestly. Three eggs, risk of bleeding, potential chance of recurrence. It was all just too much. Okay, so let's talk options. Why not do another egg retrieval and use a surrogate? Well, (laughs) I've always wanted to do another egg retrieval, but I just can't afford it. And a surrogate, I can't afford that either. And I never thought I'd use a surrogate because I thought it wasn't important to me to have my own genetic material out there. But I was also never in this position before and forced to really look at my motivations, I guess. And it turns out, it's not that I just want to experience pregnancy. I do have a need to reproduce, which is fucked up to me when there are so many children out there that need loving families. But there you have it. I'm selfish, I guess. I mean, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> just, uh feel like a jerk. But anyway, if money was not an issue, I would do an egg retrieval immediately. And if I had any viable embryos and I wasn't all clear to go on pregnancy, or if I couldn't get over my fear, I would absolutely use a surrogate. So that's what I've learned in the last couple of days. Of course, in order to do an egg retrieval, I'll need to see a fertility doctor and have my AMH tested and do an antral follicle count. And I can't do any of that until I get my period back. And I won't be getting my period back until I stop pumping. And you all know how I feel about pumping. So I'm just taking it a day at a time. With my due date coming up, I'm not, I'm not quitting pumping today with all of these feelings and emotions. It's like, I'm just, yeah, day at a time. I'm okay right now. And I'm still working on adoption and fostering stuff. I've had a few meetings. And that's it. So now that I've filled you in on some of the rough stuff, let's move on to the fun stuff. I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you, this conversation with Julie Boucher-Horowitz. She's a board-certified family nurse practitioner and lactation consultant, and she's the executive director of the New York Milk Bank. And she's got some great stories. Actually, you were there day two of my pumping experience and my whole tragic experience back in December. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've already updated you about that. I'm still doing I'm, it. I'm amazed. I mean, <laughs> so when did it turn around in your supply store? Because you remember at one point you emailed me, you said, nothing's coming. I said, keep doing it, keep doing yes. it. It'll come. I think we had talked on a, I made the decision on a Wednesday. You and I talked on a Thursday morning, I think. And uh, I still had a little bit the day we talked. And then the next Friday, Saturday, drips. And you said, keep doing it. And I think it started to come back on Monday, Tuesday. You got up to how many ounces a day? I think about 16 ounces a day. That's fabulous. I think um, I'm coming up on my estimated due date. And that's March 20th. And I feel like this is probably about the right time to start, start to stop pumping. Okay. But I have really enjoyed it. Um, it's been really helpful for me to just given me routine and time with myself and reflection and and extending my pregnancy really and my connection to my baby. So it's really scary to let that go. This is when I get emotional. Um, but I can't do it forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can you can you don't have to do six times a day. You could go down to four times a day. You could gradually wean until you're ready. You know, don't go for the numbers, go for how you feel about it emotionally and, and take it that way, you know? Yeah. You can even get down to four times a day and twice a day and you'll know when it's time to stop. So if you do, if you're down to four times a day, does that just mean 
Will I produce a lot less? You'll start to produce less. Uh, you may produce the same amount for a little bit. Interesting. But then, but you'll start to produce less. When I have exclusive pumpers, mothers who are exclusively pumping, we get them down to four times a day, and that's manageable for them. Oh, to wow. maintain their supply. It's a oh, little okay. easier than six times a day. So yeah. you have to I'm do I'm going to start that today then. <laughs> you can start that today. Just make sure that when you do pump, you drain yourself. So you have to make sure you're doing massage and you do hand expression afterwards to make sure you have really drained yourself. And, and you can go even longer if you do four times a day. Otherwise, it becomes too prohibitive for people to pump long term. So when you say you can go longer, you mean um, continuing to do it, not... Um... No, no, not each pump session, but continuing length of time. Because some, I've had one woman, she pumped for two and a half years. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, now she was feeding her baby. And yeah. of course, by the time the baby was two or yeah. two and a half, it was just once a day. Yeah. But she gave that four ounce milk in a glass. For, yeah. <laughs> but then they never got cow's milk, you know, her children. She did it for two babies. But that, uh, but again, we made it manageable. So she toggled between four to five times. She would increase to five times a day if and when she needed more milk and then take it back to four times a day as her, as her maintenance pump. Okay. So, so I should just divide up the hours kind of equally then. Yeah. Throughout the day. That's all you do. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. And that's what I did do. I'm now down to four times a day. I'm definitely producing less, but if I can stay at the level I'm producing right now for a minute, that would make me happy. We'll see what happens. Okay. So then I asked her how the milk bank came to be. You know, I never thought I'd go into this field. I had a baby and I loved breastfeeding and bonding with her. And I didn't pump. I was just an exclusive breastfeeder. Uh-huh. And um, I decided then that I really liked the whole birthing field. So I became a, a doula and a childbirth educator. <gasps> and um, I was becoming a midwife as well. And then we wanted to adopt. Well, the midwifery piece was my husband couldn't stand the hours that I was out all at all times and dates. Right. And he said, it's too disruptive to the family. So I switched over to lactation and mm-hmm. became a lactation consultant. And I did that through La Lecha League. So I earned my hours and experience that way. So um, then I, I wanted, we wanted to adopt another baby didn't come. So we decided to adopt and we adopted a baby from China and uh-huh. she was a failure to thrive infant, Aww. meaning she wasn't doing very well. She was vomiting all her formula. At four months, she was nine pounds, which some babies wow. are born at nine pounds. So wow. she was real. She looked terrible. When we took her clothes off and saw her little body, we were like, she looked oh malnourished. Yeah. So in in preparation, well, I we adopted in ninety uh, six, mm-hmm. and at the time there were no protocols for inducing lactation, but I wanted to induce lactation. And at the time, there was not the internet internet service that there is right. today. So I went to the Columbia Medical Library there, wow. and I just started perusing studies on how do you induce lactation and found out that you start pumping, just start pumping. Yeah. So I did. I, I, I rented a heavy-duty pump. I pumped. Oh, my God. I pumped every – now I know that it was really overwork, but I pumped every two hours around the clock. You know, and I set an alarm in the middle of the night. Not, it was exhausting. In the beginning, would anything, I mean, how long did it take for anything to come out? Well, in four days, a few drops appeared. So that was encouraging. Oh. But um, I didn't take medication. Now there's medication that you can take to induce lactation. And no one knew anything about it. And as I said, there wasn't this access to online information. I pumped, but I, d- I really didn't get enough. So that's why mm-hmm. I knew that. I wanted to supplement her with uh, donor milk. And I also knew that I wanted to breastfeed her. I did not want to bottle feed her. Mm. So in preparation, I met with a lactation consultant and I bought this supplemental nursing system device where I could (gasps) wear donor milk at the breast and have a little tube attached to my nipple and nurse her. And she never had a bottle. Oh my God, I had no idea this existed. Yeah, so we... When we when she arrived, we would I didn't know if she would accept the breast or not. But when we were brought into the room where the 
nannies brought her in. That's what they called them. The nurses were called nannies and they don't uh, speak any English. Uh, and they handed us this baby who she, unfortunately she smelled the vomit because she was throwing up all oh, of her poor food. Thing. And so I just put her to the breast, even without any tubes. I wanted to see if she would accept the breast and she latched on. When you I were in shocked. China. In China, in the room where they brought us, that was the first thing I wanted to do is, will she latch? And yeah. I just put her on. Of course, it wasn't a great latch, and I had very sore nipples, but she yeah. she latched. So I thought, that's it, baby. You're mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, we're going to do on. this. Had you already been doing the pumping before you got to her? And yes, so- I had. I pumped for six weeks before. Okay. So there were there were drops there, but not ounces of milk. But it was enough for her to at least get on and start suckling, uh, but not really getting a lot of nutrition. It was really for the bonding experience. Yeah. And I was shocked that she accepted it. And so from then on, I went into my room and put a tube at the breast and started feeding her that way. And I also finger fed her. I, I knew I had to get rid of the bottles or else she would maybe start grieving for the bottles. Right. But, um, so I finger fed her when I needed to, which is put a tube right at the finger and put it in her mouth. Oh. And then I nursed her when I could. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Yeah. And actually, that's when I decided I would become a lactation consultant because I learned so much with inducing lactation, finger yeah. feeding, nursing a four month old. <laughs> I, I just said, you know, I should switch. That was my decision to switch over to lactation from midwifery. So you met her at four months and she latched at four months. She did. And uh, she didn't do it properly and she was tongue tied. So we had oh. to have her tongue released. And actually, Roseanne went with me to do it because I was so upset about having to do it. But I had such painful nipples. We, we, we released her tongue and she never took a bottle the whole time. I mean, you know, she, she eventually didn't need the gear that I wore. I, I wore it under a nursing top so no one even knew in public I had it on. You know, I could just pick uh-huh. her up and nurse her under a flap and no one knew I had this wow. gear on. Which Wild. created quite a stir when I went to a Japanese restaurant and they knew we were adopting and then they saw me pick her up, put her on, and they're like, What are you doing? You're nursing her? You know. Oh uh, yeah, so. well here I mean, that's something to talk about. I mean, what what kind of is is there's a stigma and you there's already a stigma to breastfeeding in public, but there but you're adding another I mean, there's another layer there. How, what was that experience like? Yeah, most people didn't really notice that I had something on underneath. But after a while, I became, it just for convenience, I stopped taping the whole device to me. So mm. there was one situation where I was taking my older daughter to a dance class. And in the lobby, I needed to nurse her. And I wasn't wired up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just put her on the breast and put the tube at my nipple and held the bottle in my hand. And let her suck from the nipple, but the bottle, and it's a weird bottle. It doesn't look like a regular bottle. Uh And I overheard one mother say to another mother, they make the weirdest bottles these days. But I didn't (laughs) say that. Actually, I don't know if that, yeah, I don't know if they even noticed. They didn't know what I was doing and I just didn't say anything. Right. Is there, but do you think there is a stigma? I mean, the fact that I didn't even know it existed, that one could even induce lactation for, for breastfeeding. I just learned that. And now this tube thing, I mean, I don't know. For me, there's a self-conscious thing where I'm like, would people think I'm a weirdo if I do this for my baby? I guess that's what's going on in my mind. Well, okay. But in my mind, (laughs) I was going, I was, my baby was abandoned Mm -hmm. and left in front of a police station. Mm -hmm. They estimated at one month, Mm -hmm. put in an orphanage had stopped crying. She did not cry or maintain eye contact. She was clinically depressed. And my feelings were, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm giving my heart and soul to healing this baby. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make her whole again. Yeah. And so that's where I was coming from. I'm going to nurse her. I'm going to sleep with my baby. I'm going to, you know, uh, she didn't even want to be touched. She had literally stopped looking at Pete. She had no hope left. 
you know, when we picked her up, she turned her head away. And thank goodness we had our nine-year-old with us because she related to the Mm nine-year-old and to my nine-year-old and started looking at her and smiling. It took two weeks before she smiled. No, that's not true. 24 hours before she smiled and two weeks before she laughed. Yeah. <laughs> so we happened to catch the picture of her laughing, and I have that. It was on the plane, <laughs> home, plane ride home. And I felt like, oh, we broke through. And oh. we, we would take her and we would rub her arms so she would get used to someone touching her because she would try to get out of your arms if you picked her up because oh she wasn't used to any physical closeness. My gosh. You know? And I, I actually asked the orphanage. We were not allowed to go to the orphanage. At that point, there was a blackout at the time because of some uh, documentary that was done on the Chinese orphanages. So I gave them a camera and I said, just take a picture of her bed uh, and where it is in relation to the room and the nurse's station. And her bed was in the furthest corner away from the nurse's station. And I had known from psychology that the babies in an orphanage, they do better if they're right next to the nurse's station because they will smile to them, touch them. But a baby over in the corner... So I saw that and that made me cry because I just thought, wow, no no wonder she stopped crying. She lost hope. Oh my goodness gracious. It's amazing. And she's just processing this now because I wrote an article on it and it was in Mothering Magazine. And, oh, um, you did? Yeah. And it, in fact, um, uh, we made the cover of a magazine. This is, you know, breastfeeding oh, your adopted baby. That was That's her. beautiful. Oh, <laughs> check out that photo on my Instagram. Spermcast. And she hasn't read it yet, but in it, I said, I hope that when she processes what happened to her, that the bonding and love that we had through breastfeeding and the nurturing, it'll help to heal her. Because she eventually had a name for my breast. She called them Ami. Ami. <laughs> you know, A-M-I. <laughs> and because she, I nursed her past the age where, where she could talk actually. So she would say, Ami, Ami. And, uh, and she would actually tell me when I taught her sign language. So she would t- sign to me when I had to put milk in the tube or when she could nurse alone, she would say, Aww. you know, you know, she would go make this sign and I'd say, you, you need milk in the, in, in the, in the tube. And she would go. <laughs> so we had a really cute relationship. We still How old is she now? She's 25. Oh yeah, my she's God. 25. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well, so I think she, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so, so what happened was when I realized I wanted to join the workforce again, and I was not going to become a midwife, I thought, um, well, let me go back to school and become a nurse and a nurse practitioner. And she was in, she was four when I started school. So mm-hmm. I went back to a community college. It took, I had a bachelor's already. So I had to take the, I had to take my science courses over because they were so old. And I had to take the nursing courses. So that took me three years because I did it part-time. And then I went to Columbia and got the master's portion and the family nurse practitioner portion. But while I was at getting in graduate school, I had this RN and I already had the lactation piece. Uh-huh. So I got a job as a lactation consultant in a hospital. Uh-huh. And I, that's when I realized there was no donor milk in New York State at all. Oh my goodness. So I started a campaign of we need to get donor milk in New York and I started lecturing on it and going out and talking about it and it took 16 years but eventually we opened a don- uh, a um, a milk bank in 16 New York years and- that's it. <laughs> <laughs> For us I mean, once we decided to do it it was 2 years but I spent 14 years. Yeah lecturing, telling people how to do it, where you get the milk from, how, you know, and eventually um, hospitals started coming on board. And the research was out there supporting the importance of donor milk, especially for premature infants. And when I became a nurse practitioner, I bought a little 20-inch freezer Uh and I put it in my office because now I could prescribe and I could accept donor milk through my office with the Department of Health because I was a licensed provider. So I bought 12 bottles of donor milk from a milk bank in uh, North Carolina. They were the only ones licensed to deliver to New York. And then I announced that there was donor milk in New York. (laughs) (laughs) And to make a long story short, 
hospitals start calling me and say, hey, how can we get a hold of this donor milk? And I said, well, don't do it through me. Do it through the Department of Health. Order it from a regular milk bank. I'm just a conduit for the local families. And that's how it all started. Wow. Wow. And then the New York Milk Bank opened up when? We opened in 2016. So by 2014, we were... So North Carolina, that's where we were getting our milk from, told me they could no longer provide milk to New York. And that made me really nervous. They said, we need it for our own babies. Mm-hmm. And Ohio and Massachusetts, in New York, you need a license for donor milk. So Ohio got a license in 2010, maybe, 20, 2010, maybe, and Massachusetts in 2012. And they, so we had to get milk from there. But I was concerned about a shortage, and I said, we can't rely on other states to provide milk. We're the third largest state in the United States, and we're relying on other states to provide milk to us. So the first thing we needed was a medical director, and then I picked up a neonatologist, a pediatrician, and we and Roseanne, and we would sit on Tuesday nights at a diner and just brainstorm and, and work out the details and fundraise, and, and that's what we did. It took two years, and we raised um, almost $200,000 and uh, Roseanne and I literally went, we we opened up in the basement of a nursing home and we literally said, okay, a freezer is going to go here. The sink's going to go here. We'll put the pasteurizer there. You know, we kind of, and, and opened up in 2016. Amazing. Amazing. And now how many freezers do you have? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Oh, my goodness. We have, I think, 13 freezers now, including a (laughs) walk-in. We can hold about 80,000 ounces of milk. Oh. Uh, Yeah, we uh, we can pasteurize 30,000 or more if we need to, and we have uh, 13 employees. We have it. We've moved. We're at a state of the art facility. Right. And, uh, yeah. So that's well, is it the one that of... I've been to in, yes, uh, in Valhalla? Valhalla. Mm. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love seeing those freezers and Roseanne, oh, yeah. Roseanne showed me, you know, opened a couple of them up for me and showed me, showed me all the milk. It's wild. Yeah, we have a network of depots throughout the state and Maryland, New Jersey, Connecticut, where people can conveniently drop off milk if they've been approved. And then Mm. the milk is shipped to us or they can drop it off or we send them a cooler and they ship the milk to us. So milk arrives at 10 a.m. Amazing. Can you tell me what happens to the milk when it gets there? Let's say somebody's approved and their milk is ready to be used. Yes, FedEx, FedEx arrives at um, 10 a.m. with uh, on a dolly with boxes of milk that have come in from all over. Our staff starts to inspect it. They inspect every bag. They weigh the milk so they can report to the mother how much milk that she donated. Then it's put in it's put in freezers by month. So we kind of keep the same donors' month dates similar. So we'll have January milk and February milk. The expiration date is one year from the mother's pump date. And so we wouldn't mix March milk with July milk because right. that, that would, wouldn't make sense. So when we tend to, we freeze it after it's been inspected and weighed. And then when we're ready to pasteurize milk, like right now, I think we're pasteurizing July milk. Uh, we'll start p- picking, choosing donors from the July month expiration dates. And we'll pick four to five donors per batch because the more women we put in a pool, it's called, it raises the nutritional content of the milk. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So I think you pumped preterm milk, right? For mm-hmm. So we will not mix preterm milk with anyone. So okay. that milk for the first 30 days is preterm and will not get mixed in. I mean, but that's once- another question I want details about too. Do you want to quickly tell me why preterm milk is important? Yeah. When a mother gives birth early, her milk is different. 
it's uh, it's higher in protein because it's amazing. The body knows that the baby needs extra protein to protect the baby from an infections. So it and that's what it does. The immunoglobulins are proteins, and that's what it's in there. It's protecting the babies from infections. So wow. there are special components in preterm milk. It's the body recognizes a baby born at 27 weeks or 28 or 30 or 32. The milk is all different, including a full term at 40. So we separate out preterm milk. That's really, it's all liquid gold, but that is really special milk to us. Wow. So, yeah. So that doesn't get pooled. Well, wouldn't it it, be good to pool it with other preterm milk? We could, but we don't have that much pre-milk, that uh, pre-term milk that comes in. So we, we could if, if we had it, and we have, but usually we keep the preterm milk separate. Is preterm milk usually from bereaved mothers? Not always. It's, we do get preterm milk from bereaved mothers, but we also get it from mothers who are pumping for their babies in the NICU, and they can't use all the milk that they're pumping because those babies are on very small amounts. So if she is a copious milk producer and she's pumping 30 ounces a day and her baby is on six ounces of milk a day, she's filling up her freezers and she needs to keep going for long term. So they'll contact us and say, you know, we, um, I have, I have milk and it's only preterm for 30 days after the birth. Yeah. So, you know, we're always looking for preterm milk. It comes in and out of here fast. Yeah. Before we leave preterm milk or this topic, I can, I can come back to it later. <laughs> it's just about people being aware that this is an option. And um, yeah, we're trying to get the word out there. More and more hospitals are using donor milk, which is wonderful, but we're telling them as well, we need your donors too. We need the women who have the milk. Uh, you're using the milk. We need you to reach out to the public as, as well and yeah. identify those copious milk producers yeah. to let us know that we, we need the milk for babies in the hospitals. Yeah. When I decided to do this, I didn't – I knew it was an option because I had a friend who had a baby in a, in a NICU and she was donating. I knew that it was an option, but I didn't think that I would be able to handle it, that it would be too emotional for me, and I just didn't even consider it. But also – Nobody brought it up to me. Nobody said anything about it. I, I knew it existed, but that was about it. I don't know if you remember, but I had tried to stop it for two days. I was trying to suppress my milk. And I guess the morning of this, the second or third day of like really painful engorgement, I realized that I might never be pregnant again. I might never be able to breastfeed. And this might be my only opportunity. And so I asked my midwife, Robin, who I think you know, Oh, yes. So I went and saw Robin that day and she said, well, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, no, no. But what if I wanted to do that? (laughs) She said, well, I mean, you do have preterm milk. And I was like, what does that mean? And that really is what put me over the edge and made me want to do it more. That's interesting. It's a sensitive subject because you don't want to make somebody feel like they – they have to do it, that they should feel obligated to do it, especially in my situation with a, just a loss like that. And you don't want somebody to feel bad about not doing it. But I also have met a couple other women who have terminated for medical reasons who regretted not doing it. And so I just wish there was an easier way to get the word well, you, out. You brought, you brought up something that I think that we should look into because we want mother these bereaved mothers to make their own choices about what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And since I'm in the field as a clinician and I do um, come across bereaved donors, you know, I, I, we have to meet them where they are, you know, and, and discuss, there are three di- different possibilities. You know, we can help you dry up. We can help you pump for a little period of time, or we could help you pump for as long as you want to. Mm. Um, we had one bereaved donor pump for a year. We were shocked, mm. but mm. she really got it all out of her system. Uh, <laughs> literally. Yeah, well, literally, but I mean, it helped, so interesting. The, it helped her with the grieving, you know, it yeah. helped her really come to terms with what had happened. And I think we're missing that. Like if your midwife said, oh, you don't have to, you know, I have another midwife who, call, who we've talked about how to approach women who are for bereaved. And she immediately says, you know, this is just an option and this is totally up to you, but yeah. you could 
save your milk for a baby that needs it. Yeah. I don't know if Robin actually said that, so I don't want to speak for her. It might have been my mom that said that, (laughs) honestly. like okay. But it's made me think that we should reach out to all the midwifery services and contact them and say, are you aware that that some women might benefit from pumping to help them with their loss? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good um, we're going I'm going to do that. I'm okay. And if there's anything that. that I can do or if you think of anything that I for I don't know. Oh, and there's another thing. Uh, one of the obstacles when I wanted to pump was or when I started to think about it was that I didn't think that it was realistic because I didn't have a pump ready to go. I didn't have t- the tubes. I didn't have anything. And yeah. I said I when I first talked to you guys I was like by any chance do you have a pump that I could use? Yeah. And you didn't. So I thought it would be really interesting for a pump company to sponsor milk banks. And so I I did email um what's it called? Freedom Mom, and then I realized that they don't make pumps. <laughs> but I emailed them my oh. whole story. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, personal use pumps are are supposed to be personal use. In the old days, the pumps, you could contaminate your milk if you used another's mother's pump. But now they have become closed systems, mm-hmm. which means it could be passed on to another mother. But prior to well, five years ago, it was the, the pumps had open systems except for a few pumps. Wow. Um, okay. That's but now most of them have closed systems. And when you're, it, when you're um, establishing a milk supply, it helps to have a rental. That's what rental I've got. Pump. Yeah, that's what, and I went yeah. that the same day got got a rental and it worked, and yeah, I'm still using that, which using. is it's probably at like three hundred bucks by now. <laughs> oh gosh, see that's but, the thing. How can we help reduce the cost for something like this? Well, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Like, if even if you in my situation where it's like a last minute do it or don't do it kind of a situation, to have one pump, pump. like that you guys keep around and you have the clean parts ready to go. See, I have that in my private practice. I oh, you have do? A, I do. I have a Medela Classic that I bought. It's a monster. It's gigantic and it's heavy. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even know if I have any more pump parts, but I used to carry the sterile pump parts because I think I've gone through them now. But that's what I always kept. And I loan that out for free to people as long as mm. they buy the pump kit that I give them at cost. But I, when a mom really needs a, a pump and she can't afford one or she uh, needs that's... one right now, you know, but for bereaved donors, we should think about something like that. Maybe keeping a pump here that we purchased. They're like two thousand dollars. They are. We, yeah. This, oh this my god. Is about, yeah. I think Medela or or another pump company should partner with milk banks and yeah. just gift gift everybody one. That would be so g- great marketing for any of them just to brag about that. You know what I mean? It would. It would. There's a there's Amita who has the platinum. There's Medela that has the symphony. And to gift it, and then we'd have some parts here, you know, pump parts, kits right. that we could buy and give, gift to the mothers. It's something to think about. Good idea. Good. <laughs> cool. All right. So, so we were talking about what happens with the milk and you're pasteurizing yes. it. So once we pool it, we bottle it and we take we actually take a sample and test the nutritional content of it so we look at the protein and the calories of the milk and then we pour them into bottles and we pasteurize it for 30 minutes at 62.5 degrees celsius it kills bacteria and it inactivates viruses but of course we've already screened the mother for infectious diseases but just in case you know it it does that but it we pasteurize in such a way that it retains the nutritional components of the milk. Most of them it, can, it, it maintains. And um, then once it comes out of the pasteurizer, we immediately chill it, label it, and we send one sample, random sample bottle to the lab, to an outside lab, to have them check it to make sure it's bacteria-free. Mm-hmm. And when those results come in, which come in in about 48 hours, we quarantine the milk until we get the results and then once we get the results, it enters our inventory. Okay. And then- So could one bad batch of, like if, if I were to give you guys, um, I don't know, a, a pump session that sat out for too long or something like that, could that spoil the whole- Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I've written every time, there's been two times that it's been uh, sat out and I've written it on the thing, not sat out for that long, but 
uh, three hours and I wrote it on the thing. So hopefully that won't be a, an issue. Yeah. No, I, I don't know where I'd have to check to see where your milk is in terms of, uh, you know, pasteurization and everything. We tend to pasteurize preterm milk quit pretty quickly because there's a need for it. Oh. Um, so but but I had it. the transfusion. Oh, so we're waiting. So okay. Six months. Yeah. We're waiting. Yeah. 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 So that's so, so a lot of times new donors, we don't pool them. We sometimes wait on them and put them through and then check their milk to make sure they're good before we add them to a pool. Mm-hmm. So that's, and, and now we've got, we've established a bacteriological station. So when new donors come in, we can start plating their milk on a, on a little Petri dish to make sure it's free of bacteria before okay. we add her to a pool so that we don't waste the whole pool. Oh God. Well, I hope any of my milk makes it. <laughs> oh, like, I'm sure it will. I'm so nervous about it. I mean, I don't tell me if it doesn't make it in there because. Uh... We usually don't. We to tell you the truth. We don't call up a mother unless she's a consistent. Right. And unless she's still just donating. Keep, it's like, oh my God, we got to talk to her. Yeah. Yeah. But if, I mean, I'm if doing not, my best. I'm doing it. my best. I definitely sterilize every single day, but. That's important. I just, it makes me nervous because I just, I've never been, I've told you this the first time we talked, I've never been like a very clean person. <laughs> that sounds bad, but I grew up on a farm, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, I'm I know. Dirt, yeah. And I have five, six older siblings and most of them wow. brothers. I was like a mess. So, <laughs> uh, but I definitely am doing everything I'm supposed to, but I'm just, I don't, I don't know. Definitely I'm check sure my it's milk. Gonna, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure okay. it's fine. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And how do you, do you just tear open those bags and it just falls into a vat? So we actually cut them. So first we okay. gently thaw them. So we uh-huh. thaw them at room temperature for about four hours, or mm-hmm. we put them in the refrigerator and thaw over a couple of days. Mm-hmm. When it's in a liquid state, we actually use sterile scissors and we call it cutting the milk. We cut the milk across mm-hmm. and we pour it into a big cookie jar uh-huh. and, and, and we strain it too while uh-huh. it's pouring into the cookie, a strainer. We do one donor at a time and then we'll pull them and put them in a big pot that has a mixer on it that's going. And so now it's all pooled and then we dispense it into bottles. Wow. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. It's like, it's, it's like a, a food factory here, only yeah. it's milk. Yeah. Yeah. What's the human milk analyzer? Is that a so thing? The human- Yes, it came yeah. from Sweden, and it's an FDA-approved human milk analyzer that we take a little sample, just 10 milliliters. We run it through this machine, and there's a control sample with it as well, and it spits back information. But what we're looking for is the protein and the calories because, again, babies in the NICU need higher protein milk to protect mm-hmm. them, and they also need milk that's a little high in, higher in calories because they have such tiny stomachs. And they can't take huge volumes of milk in, so they need small amounts. So that's what we'll record on mm-hmm. the bottle, mm-hmm. which is the protein and the fat content, ah, how many calories cool. per ounce. Very cool. Okay, I wrote a couple things questions down for you. So let me see. Oh, I don't remember what it was. I was leaning forward while I was pumping earlier, and I think I got more milk than I usually get. Does that? Is that? Yes. Yes. I had you no lean idea. Forward. Lean forward and massage your breast while you have the flanges like here and go like this and lean forward. You will make milk. That's why they go, oh, I get more milk when I lean forward, but it hurts my back. I had yes. no idea. Maybe you told gravity. me in the beginning. Gravity helps. That's it's gravity. It's so funny because I would love to do it lying down. Oh, well, <laughs> you'd have to lie down on your stomach somehow. Yeah, yeah with my boobs hanging off the bed. Um, <laughs> the only other question, my, I don't know – how in need are milk banks? How in need are they? Yeah. Every ounce of milk that the milk banks collect is, is gone. Okay. No one, it's, it's fascinating. We've done over seven and a half million ounces in 2020 and it's growing every year, but we dispense whatever we collect, which tells us if we could collect 10 million or 11 million, it would get out there. Okay. So there is a need. Not everybody can breastfeed, but every right. baby deserves human milk. And if the formula industry is like a, um, well, there's 4 million births a year. And I think the formula industry is something like 40 million or 
whatever. I don't know how many ounces. I mean, that could all be human milk if we changed our infant feeding patterns and really supported women in breastfeeding and people knew about milk banks. Like in in Brazil, milk banks are a a, a household word. It's on billboards. They have over 200 milk banks and everyone knows about it. Anybody that has extra milk donates to the Brazilian milk banks. And it's, it's not a household word yet here. It's, it's new in the U.S., comparatively new, and it's been going on for over 30 years. It's so strange. Yeah. I mean, milk sharing or wet nurses, that's been around since the dawn of man right. because not every woman can breastfeed. But if we want to really have a healthy society, every baby deserves access to human milk at a very affordable price, subsidized by the government. With a prescription at the pharmacy. That's my right. view. You know, every baby has access to it. Yeah. So we can always use more milk. Wow. Okay. I know you guys take milk donations, but do you take money <laughs> donations? We do. And we okay. do. Because with our- so with tell our, my listeners uh, about that. So with our financial donations at this point in the game, we use it to upgrade our equipment expand our operations. So anything that comes in in donations, rather than it going towards operations, it goes to new equipment. And right now we need a new dispenser and that's $3,000. We have one, we want two. We we need another freezer because we have, we we get more milk. We just put a generator, we just bought a generator that was over $52,000 for the generator and the electrical work. But yes, now we have a generator and that came through donations and grants. Wow. So, um, so any money that comes to us, we actually put towards our infrastructure. Okay. How can my listeners find you guys to uh, donate? Well, they can go on our website at nymilkbank.org and go to our contribute page. Um, and there they can click there and they can donate easily through uh, PayPal. There's a link to our, our account there. Perfect. Perfect. Do you guys have social media stuff too or, or what? We do. We're all over social media. Social media is big. We have Instagram, we have Twitter, and we have Facebook. And we're, we have a bulletin. If anybody wants to be on our bulletin, they can just shoot us an email. We have volunteers. I don't know if you know about our female motorcycle volunteers. Do you know about no? that? No. What's that? No? Oh, my <laughs> God. We have a group of female motorcyclists who pick up and deliver milk for us. Stop. Uh, the sirens. No, go on our website and find out. <laughs> you have a motorcycle and you want to deliver milk, you can join our milk rider program. It's that is the milk coolest riders. thing I've ever heard. Yeah. They, are they all in we, New York? Some are in New Jersey, but they're local because oh they have to come to the bank to pick up the milk yeah. to deliver it to homes. So they deliver it to some of our recipients who can't get to the milk bank. And they will also pick up milk from a local depot and deliver it here. And we actually did a milk caravan from our facility to Buffalo one year where we had pit stops and used two oh different motorcycle God. two different motorcycle groups to transfer the milk. So um, yeah, check out the milk riders on our website, <laughs> on our volunteer page. So great. Okay, what is your Instagram handle? The New York Milk Bank, all one word. And the New York New is York spelled Bank. out? Yes. The New York Milk Bank. Got it. Facebook is NY Milk Bank. And Twitter is New York Milk Bank spelled out. So And then we're on LinkedIn too. We're on LinkedIn too. You got it covered. Trying. We're trying to get, <laughs> and also we now translate our materials into seven languages. So we're really excited about that, that we're trying, you know, New York is a very multicultural location. So mm-hmm. we have it in English, Spanish, Creole, French, Arabic, Bengali, and Chinese. Wow. I got a question. If I had a listener who was like, oh my God, I have the most expensive, fanciest pump, maybe New York Milk Bank would want it. Would you guys accept it? If it is a closed system as the new pumps are now, uh, we do. And uh, we donate those pumps to the underserved communities. Oh, okay. As long as it's a closed system, we sterilize it and donate it to a few groups that we work with. Oh, well, that's lovely. I mean, that's kind of like uh, having one on on hand for people like me. So yeah, we, we have a, we have a new pump on hand for a situation, but we just got it. I don't know where it, Roseanne told me we have a new spectra that came in. Um, we're, we're looking at that. This is all new for us to start reaching out and getting pumps and trying to help the underserved communities. But see in New York state, you can get a free pump. Oh, you can. With with even Medicaid. Yeah. Medicaid. Even, uh, even if, 
Wait, she's looking at me like, did you? <laughs> I didn't I'm do looking, that. No, because I'm wondering if, if we wrote a prescription and even if you're a bereaved donor, I've never experienced it, but I wonder if you could have had, they might not, it depends on your insurance company. Some insurance companies will rent a pump and some insurance companies will, they definitely purchase it for you, but they're limited on which pumps they'll say, these are the pumps we provide. So a lot of my moms in my practice, you know, I make sure they know about this. Did you get a pump yet? Go through your insurance company. I'll tell you the best pumps. And then they get a free pump. It's part of the Affordable Care Act. So so if I have a listener that has a nice pump that they want to give away potentially to you, just should I just have them contact uh, the milk yeah. bank? Yeah. We'll okay. see what, yeah. It's one of the ones that have a closed system. We could accept it. Okay. Well, that'd be nice. I don't know if there's anyone out there, but um, all right. Julie, thank you so much. Okay. Okay, Molly. <laughs> thank you. It was really a pleasure. This was really interesting. It, it was for me too. You've given Aww. me some great ideas. So oh, thank good. you. Um, let thank me know if there's so anything much. that I can do. You've done a lot already. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Not only have you donated milk, but you've given me some great ideas about reaching Aww. out to the communities. Thank Aww. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Gosh, thank you again, Julie. That was so interesting. And, you know, re-listening to this interview while editing it, I'm re-inspired to adopt and also feel less grief over the idea of not being able to carry a baby and use my own eggs. So we'll see. We'll see. We don't know what's going to happen yet, but I do feel kind of okay. So I appreciate that. And thank you, listeners, for enduring my vacillating emotions. Oh my goodness, I've been putting you through the ringer for years. Oh well. (laughs) Hey, if any of you have an extra pump out there, think about donating it to the New York Milk Bank or a local milk bank. And if you've got extra milk, also think about donating that. And if you've got an extra dollar or two, also think about donating that. I'll put links to all of the relevant information for the New York Milk Bank in the show notes. If you want to see a picture of Julie and her baby on the cover of Mothering Magazine, I'll put that on my Instagram. Other stuff I'll put on my Instagram? Oh, pictures of my pumping journey. You might even catch a nip in there, so follow me for hot nip content. You can also see pictures of my pumping experience on my Patreon and read about all of my feelings there, too. If you haven't already, go sign up at patreon.com forward slash spermcast. If you want to support the podcast with money, but you don't want to join the Patreon, go to Venmo and Venmo Molly-Hockey. If you want to support the show in another way, you can always rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Spermcast, and leave me a voicemail at 323-741-1818, or email me at spermcast at gmail.com. I'm still doing fertility consultations if you're interested in that. I know, I know, I'm a wreck. Why would you want to talk to somebody who's a total wreck? But I do enjoy helping people. And I think, hopefully, I'm still being helpful to the people I talk to. So yeah, email me if you're interested in fertility consultations. That's it for now. I'll talk to you next week. Lots of love. Bye-bye. He could be bald and bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need spurs. Powered by ACAST. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.